people, when I have a tie on, everybody asks me if I'm preaching. The second question they ask is, are we going to get out early? I've had a few people ask me that today, and I'll call your attention to the bulletin. Have you seen the outline? (laughs) I can't promise anything today. Um, Basically, what I want to do today is give you five phases of the Christian life, just give you a broad picture of the whole story and kind of see where you fit in. That's why I've entitled the message, You Are Here. It's kind of a weird title, but probably most of you all have been on vacation and gone on a trip, like a road trip, and you know how it works. You plan a trip, let's say, to the beach, and uh, the father, whoever that is, he'll say, Hey, you know what? I made it down there in eight and a half hours last year. This year I'm going for eight. I've got to break my record. And so the whole time, you know, the wife is thinking, oh, I'm going to find some great places to shop along the way. So that you get in the car and you're going along and about an hour later, you know, the kids are going, how much farther? How much farther? I got to go to the bathroom, you know. So you pull off in a rest area and you see these big maps and they have a red dot. It says, you are here. That's where I got the title from. So today, I want you to listen to what I'm saying and figure out where you are, because I'm going to give you five phases of the Christian life. The first phase is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And if you're a Christian, you probably already know this phase, but I want to go over it again for those who may not be saved. The first verse that I want you to see, and I'm going to be going through these pretty fast because there is a lot of information, so don't feel like you have to turn to every verse. They'll be on the screen. You can look at them if you want. The first verse is uh, 1 Corinthians 15.22. It says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so isn't that what it is to be saved? You were dead, now you're alive. You're born in Adam, you're dead. You're born again in Christ, you're made alive. Which leads us to John 3, 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, of course, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's not some ritual you go through. It's not some water ceremony you go through. It's being born again. So if you're born again, you're what we would call saved. The Bible many times refers to that as being justified. Now, there's a couple of big words I want you to look at first because these are important elements to salvation, and many times they're left out of uh, salvation messages. The first word is repent or repentance. And uh, that's not a big word probably to you, but the Greek word may be metanoia. Uh, the first part of that word meta means to uh, means after, and the second part of the word means to perceive. So it means to perceive after. And if you think about it, the best example I can think of of repentance is Paul in uh, Acts chapter nine, when he's persecuting Christians. That's what his whole life's about: stamp out the church. And God meets with him, and he perceives differently after that meeting. He perceives everything differently. Now he doesn't hate God. He loves God. He wants to do what he can for God instead of eliminate God and his people. So when we have an encounter with God, many times through a sermon, we perceive differently. That's repentance. And obviously, when you perceive differently, you're going to act differently, right? You're going to hate sin now and love God. The second word is receive or that Greek word pistuo. And many times in the Bible, this same word pistuo is uh, interpreted as receive, believe, uh, trust, or uh, 
confidence. It means to have confidence in or to rely on something. And so it's not just intellectually acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross. I mean, that's a historical fact, right? I mean, anybody could say, yeah, I believe he died on the cross. That doesn't mean you're saved. It means to receive him, to trust him, to rely on his sacrifice to save you. It's not just believing an intellectual fact. Now, if you're a Christian, you already know all those things, right? Here's one thing you may not know. John 2, 23 through 25, it says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem, this is talking about Jesus, at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he did. But Jesus did not commit, that's the word pastuo, did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So here you have a situation where you have people who believed in Jesus' name. They intellectually believed in him, but they had not committed themselves to him. And what does Jesus say? You're not going to commit yourself to me? Then I'm not committing myself to you. And he didn't need it for anybody to stand up and say, Oh, yes, I love you, Jesus, because he knew what was in their heart, and he knew they didn't. Okay? So phase one is about being justified, or what we would call saved, by God from the penalty of sin. And you probably have some blanks in your uh, outline to fill in. The first one, it says, crossing the Red Sea. This same progression of five phases that I'm going to present today, you can think about the old story of the Israelites when they were in captivity in Egypt and they were let out of bondage and they went out and crossed the Red Sea. Okay, this is a picture of them being released from bondage. Well, when we're saved, we're released from the bondage of sin, right? So it's a similar picture. When we become saved, we are broken from self-righteousness. You see, before we're saved, even if we don't know anything about God, what do we rely on? We rely on ourselves, right? Oh, I do some pretty good things. I'm not a bad person. You know, I'll look around me, and I'm better than this guy. And he goes to church, and so if he goes to heaven, I guess I'll go too because I'm a pretty good guy. So we're relying on ourselves. And then when we hear about God, we hear about all these rules and regulations called the law. And so we try to keep all these rules. And so now we're relying on law to keep us right. And we realize we can't do them all. And we hope God graves on a curve and maybe he'll let us in anyway since we tried so hard. You know, hey, God, I made an 80. <laughs> Sorry, you have to have a 100. And uh, then we realize, hey, you know, I can't ever make a 100. So then we rely on Christ. So we're freed from self-righteousness. Now our righteousness is in Him. So if you look back to the Old Testament of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they had what is called a Passover. So in this sense, we see Christ as the Lamb. That's another one of your blanks, by the way. Okay, that's an easy one, phase one. Here's another one that you may want to pay some attention to. Phase two is the believer's wholehearted surrender. This is uh, a little harder sometimes because most Christians, they get saved and they go through their life and they're depending on themselves and they try to do a few good things along the way and maybe God allows certain things to happen in their life and they say, you know what, God, i just been playing you know, I'm not really living this stuff out, and uh, I need to really surrender to you. I need to throw up the white flag and say, I quit, I surrender, I'm not going to fight you. And a lot of Christians never get to that point. 
And I'll just use a personal example. I was saved when I was 10. I gave God a wholehearted surrender when I was 19. I can never forget it. I was driving down 640 in my radical Volkswagen Beetle. And uh, I had been, uh, been living the life that everybody lives. And I thought, man, what a hypocrite you are. You know what? You're living this way six days a week and you're living this day one hour a week. What are you doing? And I just felt very convicted about it. And I said, all right, God, if I'm going to say I'm a Christian, then I need to be one. And so I said, okay. All right. That's what this is about. Let me read you Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is a very familiar verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you want to know what the will of God is? He tells you right here that you be conformed to the image of Christ. That's God's will for you if you're a Christian, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. He says, do not be conformed to this world. You see, if you, and I don't want to get too technical, but that word for conformed is suskematizo, and it means, like we would say, schematic. It's a pattern. And what's going on in our world today is the world is trying to press you into its mold. It's trying to conform you to its image. And he's saying, don't be pressed into that mold. Don't look like the world, but be transformed. That's the word metamorpho, like a, a caterpillar changes into a butterfly, metamorphosis. He says, be transformed. How do we do that? It is in the middle voice. It is our responsibility to be transformed. How do we do that? He tells us, by the renewing of your mind. That word is anachinosis, and it means to renew your mind, to change your perception, just like I talked about repentance. God has to change your perception before you see things the way he sees them. And once you begin to see things the way he sees them, you start looking more like his son. And if you don't surrender, if you just keep fighting him, you're never going to get there. Here's another section of scripture you might find interesting. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. That's a perfect place to say amen. <laughs> he says every name, every knee will bow. You talking about Hitler? Yeah. You talking about Marilyn Manson? Yeah. Talking about you? Yeah. Every knee. What is he saying here? He's saying Jesus is Lord. You cannot make him your Lord. He already is. It's a matter of you getting on his program, accepting him as Lord, or you trying to be Lord. I mean, if, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, who is? You, right? Okay. So what's phase two about? Phase two is about yielding your rights. Nobody likes that. And relationships to God's control. Yielding your rights. And that's what we're all about in America, right? Rights. Yielding your rights and relationships to God's control. We're saying we believe you know what you're doing, God. Because if we don't, we have to do it. Okay, in our little story here with the children of Israel coming across the Red Sea, remember the sea party they came across? All the soldiers were killed. They were walking out. Now where are they? They're in the wilderness. They're walking out through the desert, walking out through the wilderness. God provides for them. He sends them some delicious manna 
I know that had to be great, eating that every day. And so they're wandering around in the wilderness, and this is where most Christians are. Most Christians are in the wilderness. They're saved, but they think this is all it is. This is all there is to it. And I heard somewhere years ago that the promised land is heaven, and so I'm just here to die, you know. I'm just going to, I'm saved, and I, man, there's a whole life to live. I'm not waiting to die. There's a whole life to live here. By the way, Cana, the promised land, is not heaven, and we're going to get into that later. So most Christians are wandering around in the wilderness. They're doing the best they can, and uh, most of them end up just staying there. Whereas for me, I came out of the wilderness when I turned 36. Okay, 10, 19, now I'm in the wilderness, I don't know how many more years, quite a while. So what happens in the wilderness? How do you get out of the wilderness? That's the big question, right? If I'm in there, how do I get out? Well, what happens when you get out of the wilderness, you're broken of independence. You're not dependent on yourself anymore. You're dependent on God. And at this point, you see Christ as Lord. Christ as your Lord and your Master, not you. All right, phase three. This is a big one. Phase three is the believer's identification with Christ's death. Now, this is a pretty big one. Most Christians know that Christ died for them, but they don't know that they died with Him. Because nobody likes to die, right? We all want to try to live, and we want to try to live our way. So let me read you quite a few verses here, but listen carefully to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 12. Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Now, I need to stop right there because a lot of times we get the wrong idea about what that word baptism means. It's the Greek word baptizo, and it means to place into or plunge into. It's the idea of taking a piece of cloth, plunging it into a vat of dye, and it coming out a different color. You know, it's not just a few pieces. It's, it's in there. It comes out different. So when... Who places you into Christ? Do you do that? No, the Holy Spirit does it. Have you ever seen anybody baptize themselves up here? (laughs) That'd be kind of hard to do that. Somebody has to place you into Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. So if you were placed into into Him, you're placed into His death. So you're identified with Christ. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we get to live, but we live a different way, a new life, not a spruced up, you know, put on the makeup, fix your hair kind of life. It's a new life. It's not just a better life. It's the new life. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, everybody wants to be like Christ when it comes time for resurrection, but they don't want to when it comes time for death. It's a package deal. Okay, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified. Okay, this is all past tense. He was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Great. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, see, he not only died for us, we died with him. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, 
knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And if it doesn't have dominion over him, it doesn't have dominion over us, right? If we're in him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead again to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Critical stuff. Critical stuff to living the Christian life. First, we have to know we died. We have to know we're in Christ. Where were we when he was crucified? We were with him, right? Where were we when he died and was buried? We were with him. Where are we now? Well, we'll get to that. Uh, Here's the thing I want you to remember. This word right here, reckon, in verse 11. It's not like we say around here, well, I reckon I'll go there. That's not what it means, okay? That word for reckon is an accounting term. And it's the idea of counting, getting some feedback, getting some counting, counting uh, something to be true. It's like doing an inventory. If you were to go into a business and say, I need to do an inventory this week, you'd go out in the warehouse, you'd have your clipboard, and you'd check off, hey, I've got 500 of these, I've got 300 of these. And then at the end of the week, you'd have a record of what you have in the warehouse. And you would reckon that to be true. You know that's right because you just checked it. This is what he's saying here. He's saying, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Well, that's real hard to do when you sin because it's very powerful. But in our position, we really are dead to sin. So why do we keep sinning? I'll get to that too. <clears throat> Here's some other verses you may want to look at that uh, talk about our identification with Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10 But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we are now. You see that? It's all past tense. We were dead. He has now made us alive, right? It's been done already. We are together with Christ. He has raised us up, and He has made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ. So where are we really? We're really with Christ, wherever He is. But we have to live out this life here on earth. So because of that, should we not live based on who we really are, not who the world says we are, and not according to these patterns that we've developed? Because when we do that, we're conforming ourselves to the world's pattern. In essence, we're saying... I'm dead to God and alive to sin. We don't want to do that. I'll give you a minute to let that one soak in. <laughs> That's a good uh, headache medicine right there. This is a great one right here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. I love this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. This is a good one right here. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Awesome. <laughs> I want to do one of those Tim things. Glory! You know how he does. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to embarrass myself, but it's what I'd like to do. <laughs> so what's the phase three all about? It's about knowing and reckoning personally your co-death, your co-burial, your co-resurrection, and co-ascension with Christ. If you're in Him, you're in Him, no matter what. 
Okay? Time is not a limit to that. Well, how can I be in Him 2,000 years ago when I'm here right now? <laughs> Ask God that one. That's what He says, though. So in our little story, the, the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. They've been through the wilderness. And if you know this story, you may want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 sometime. But they get to the promised land. God says, Moses, you're not going into the promised land. You've disobeyed me. You, you can only see it. So they're up there. They're looking into the promised land. Joshua takes over as the leader. And uh, he sends some spies into the new land to check it out. God has already said, I'm going to give you this land. So they send some spies in. The spies look at all the uh, cities, all the people. They come back and they say, this is a pretty cool place. They got all kinds of fruit. They got all kinds of livestock. But there's some big cities. They have walls around them. I don't know if we can take these people. The, the people are huge. They're giants. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. So they come back and they give this report. Well, only two of the guys that go out as spies say, okay, we believe God. I don't care what it looks like. We're going in because God has said we can take it. The rest of them said, no, I'm afraid I'm not going. This is what it means to cross the Jordan. Okay. You believe what God says, even if it doesn't look right. And you, you go in. Okay. It's not heaven, but it is the promised land. All right. This is some stuff that I want you to listen to very carefully because I think it applies to probably everybody in here, as if the other stuff didn't, you know. Phase four, Christ's victory through his death and resurrection. Ah, oh, I hear those pages turning. It's a big, long outline. Now, normally what happens in most churches, you go from phase one to phase five. People get saved and they go straight to phase five and get to work for God. You need to do something for God. If you're a real good Christian, you need to do something for God. And they, they have a big problem with that. Because first of all, they don't even know who they are in Christ. So they don't have the power to do it. And second of all, they don't have the freedom to do it. And this is what freedom's all about, phase four. Okay? Listen to this, Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus has defeated the enemy. Okay? He's defeated the principalities, the ruler of darkness, Satan, the adversary, the devil, whatever you want to call him. And he has the power to overcome him. You and I don't, but he does. And if we're in him, we have access to that power. Okay? Keep listening. John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And if you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Are you all free? I have a feeling many of you are not. Okay? Christ is all about freedom. He says, that's why I freed you to be free. Okay? And there's so many things in our lives that keeps us... Hold, holds us down, keeps us from being free, keeps us from being who we really are. You know, are you free in worship? Huh? Are you, you know, I mean, are you free in your life? Are, are there things in your life that just, it's like a ball and chain around your leg that keep you down? You know, I mean, let's just be real. Let's be transparent a little bit here. You know, take off the mask and say, hey, man, this is me. Because isn't that what Christianity is about? It's saying, God, I can't do this. Well, we can't do any of it. We've got to put, take the masks off. We've got to be real. 
You know, I mean, I doubt seriously if when I come here every Sunday and I say, how are you today? Oh, great. I'm wonderful. I doubt seriously if you really are. Why not? Because I talk to people every week that aren't. And that's all of us. So if we want some help, oh, that's, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Nobody wants help. That, I guess, uh, anyway, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying to get help, you have to admit you have a problem and nobody wants to do that. So what do we do if we have a problem? I'm not saying you do, just if. What do we do about it? James 4, 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I've got to stop right there. Submit. Submit. That's, that's not the woman's favorite term to hear. Submit means it's hupotasso. Okay? Understand. It's not to understand. It's to stand under. It's a military term. It's, it means to get in your order, get in your rank. Submit to God. You see, when you have a problem in your life that you can't handle, what do you do? You try to ha- handle it yourself. He's saying submit to God. Get in order. This is God's problem, not yours. Give it to Him. Let Him deal with it. And when you do that, then you resist the devil. We don't want uh, <laughs> you know, to give it to God and then not resist the devil, Right? It's, it's submit to God, resist the devil, and then he'll flee from you. Why? Because you're in Christ. He's not scared of you, but he's scared of Christ. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Okay? So it's all about submitting to God. Think about this. I would be willing to, well, I can't say bet, can I? I would be willing to bet that probably everybody in here has probably had some rejection in your life. Okay? Whether it's from your parents, whether it's from friends, whether it's who, who knows. What happens? Everybody wants to feel like they belong somewhere, right? Okay? You go to the nearest bar, you automatically belong. Hey, everybody accepts you. They don't care. You know, if you're gay, you go to the gay community, they accept you. Why can't we do that here? You know, why can't we accept people in the church? I mean, that should be the most natural place. But no, everybody wants to belong, so they do what they have to do to fit in. And, uh, you know, people want to feel worthy. They want to feel like they have some value. They want to feel accepted. And so people do what they need to do to feel accepted. And once you realize that God accepts you for who you are, then you don't have to do all that stuff. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be a circus animal and perform for the people that you want to be accepted by because God accepts you and you're in. It should free you up. So what's phase four about? Taking back ground through submission and faith. You see, in our lives, there's what's called footholds. And we all have them. Some have more than others. Some are worse than others. But it's a place where Satan has set up camp. He set up a place of operation. And there's been a crack, crack in your armor for whatever reason. Maybe you feel inferior. Maybe you have an inferiority complex. Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you feel like somebody's talked to you your whole life and told you you're no good, so you feel like you, you aren't. You start to believe it. And so Satan sets up camp there. And so you operate out of this sense of being inadequate your whole life. Well, you are. You are adequate. God has made you adequate. And once you see that, you operate out of a different identity. 
Is Christ adequate? Yes. If you're in him, you're adequate. So what happens is Satan uses these strongholds to throw us off track and keep us living out of the will of God. So what do you do uh, when you have strongholds? You replace deception with truth. You see what Satan has done, he's lied to you. He told you a big lie, and because you're hurting, you believe it and you go with it. But what you do is you take God's word and God's truth and you replace the deception with truth. And if you want to talk about it, I'll be glad to help you with that. So, the children of Israel have now moved into the promised land. We know this isn't heaven. Why? Because there's walled cities. They have to conquer these cities. There's giants they have to defeat. Okay? There's things they have to do. It's not just free, free for all. It's you have to do some things, but God is with you. What does God say? Go to Jericho, walk around the city, and I'll give you the city. Well, if they just sit back and say, oh, I believe that. (laughs) It's not going to do anything. You put your faith into action. You do what he says, and the walls fall down. And I guess that's some blanks I need to tell you about. Conquering the walled cities and giants. I think that's the next blank. So what happens when you understand this truth? You're broken from deception. You're not as easily deceived. And if you are, you get out of it easier. Why? Because Christ is your liberator. That's the last blank. Phase five. The believer's moment-by-moment commitment. Let me read a few verses out of Luke. Luke 9, 23 through 27 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. So what is he saying? Give your life to Christ. If you try to hang on to your life, and you know that song by Bon Jovi, It's My Life. It's a great song. I love that song. You know what I'm talking about? It's a great song. But it's so anti-God. It's so anti-this right here. The words go, it's my life. Uh, I don't know. I forgot it now, but anyway, it's like I'm going to live my life the way I want to and you know, I'm going to live what, until I die and all these things. Well, what he's saying is, it's my life. I'm going to do what I want to with it. And Christ is saying, if you try to hold on to your life, what you want, you're going to lose it. You have to give it to him and let him do with it what he wants. And that's very hard for us to do sometimes, especially if we don't know who we are, especially if we don't understand that we're free, that we're accepted, doesn't matter. Realize here in verse 23, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not one time when you're 10 years old. It's every day. And I would even add to that, it's moment by moment. You know, we live moment by moment, right? If I get up in the morning and I say, okay, Lord, I'm taking up my cross today, and I go out and I forget it. No, it's moment by moment. You know, the old song, I need thee every hour, I need thee every moment. Now, this is another section of Scripture I'm sure you've heard before, but I'm going to read it anyway. John 15, 1 through 8. 
This is how we do this. This is how we live moment by moment. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Here's the word we need to remember. Abide. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, I'm going to skip the rest of it. Think about this. Okay, i got to do this. Since I'm up here, you kind of have to watch me. Uh, you know how you have a tree or a vine, and they have branches that come off. And on the end of the branch, let's say it's a, a grapevine, and there's a, a big, what do you call it, clump or cluster, <laughs> cluster of grapes. Let's say that grape really wants to grow. It really wants to do all it can. How does it do that? I'm going to do it right now. Watch this. Did you see the effort I put forth? You see, a grape cannot do anything except receive those nutrients. As the nutrients come down the vine, they come into the grape and it produces fruit. That's what we do. We abide in Christ. We walk with God and He sends nutrients our way. You can't make it happen. John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. Listen to this. They follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now we love to hear, my sheep hear my voice. We love to hear, I know them. And we love to hear, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my Father's hand. But we forget the one word that says, they follow me. If we're His sheep, He knows us, and we know Him, and we follow Him. It's a package deal. So what is phase five about? Maintaining a yielded, dependent heart, trusting Christ to live through you in practical obedience. For the children of Israel, it meant occupying and developing the land in Canaan. God told them they had it. All they had to do was follow through with what he said. So what happens in phase five? We are broken from worldliness. Okay? Because Christ is the leader. We got through it all with time to spare. Does that make sense to you all to see the whole picture? To see that it's salvation, it's surrender, it's understanding who you are in Christ, that your life is hidden in Christ, and then understanding even though you're a Christian, you have tons of strongholds where Satan exploits and tries to ruin your life with, and God has provided the power to overcome those things, and then it's walking with Him on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment basis. It's not working it up for an hour a week. It's your life. Jesus is not a part of your life. He is your life. It's not like the back of all these cars I see with the fish sticker and the UT sticker and the Earnhardt sticker and, and all the stickers. You know, they got to coexist. They got it all covered. No matter what happens, I'm covered. No, it's Christ. Okay? So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to think through what you've heard. And I'm not asking you to do anything for me, but I am asking you to do what God has asked you to do. So what I would like to do is for everybody to seriously think about this. Let's say 
It's the end of time and you're really standing before God. And there aren't your peers standing around you wondering what, you know, you're wondering what they think about you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're wearing today or what you drove in, you know, or if you have a job or not. None of that stuff matters. Think about it, you and God standing there. Okay? Where are you? Where are you on the map? If He has spoken to you today about praying, making some public acknowledgement that, God, you know what? I'm, I'm here. I need to be here. Or, God, you know what? I haven't surrendered. You know, I've prayed a prayer of salvation and asked God to save me from sin, but I've never prayed a prayer to save me from myself. You know? Or maybe I have some strongholds, and I don't need to tell anybody about it, but I sure would like for you to to deal with that. Or maybe I'm having a struggle on that day-to-day walk. Maybe my business, my job, my life is just so hectic. You know, I've got kids playing ball, I've got all this work to do, and I, I, I get off track. Whatever the case may be, if God is speaking to you about any of these things, I would like for you to do something you're not comfortable doing. Stand up and come down here and pray, because I want to pray with you, but I want you to be real about it. Okay, just drop the mask and just be transparent and just let me pray for you. Okay, I want to help. I just want to pray. So if we could have some music going. Now let me pray right now and then we'll, we'll do that. Lord, it's been a great day to be here today to just celebrate you and uh, this great music we've heard. It's all about you. It's not about us. And, Lord, we have to realize our lives are not all about us. They're about you. You've given us life. You've given us opportunities. And you've given us ways to, uh, to let you live through us. So, Lord, I pray today that you would lay on the hearts of some people here where they are and uh, what you want them to do about it. So, uh, Lord, let's, uh, let's worship you with this song. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand up. Just as you are, hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are, come and see, come receive, come and Just as you are, hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are, come receive Christ the King. Come and And strength for today. Taste the living water and never.